Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt and if you like the show you can help out by clicking the like or subscribe button. You can also donate using the Patreon link in the description below. So I'm glad to be back and I've got an exciting show for everyone today. We're going to be focusing on the ophthalmology sector. Now obviously I can't cover every aspect of ophthalmology in a simple episode of Breaking Biotech, but we are going to focus on diseases associated with neovascularization. And specifically, I'm talking about wet AMD and diabetic retinopathy, which have garnered pretty substantial revenue streams. And the reason why we're going to talk about that is we've heard a lot of updates from a bunch of companies that are in the space. And I think that some of the negativity associated with that is going to change with some readouts that we're going to see in the back half of the year. So we're going to talk about all of that. A couple of the companies here, 4D Molecular Therapies, Clearside Biomedical, and Regenix Bio. Before we do touch on all of that, I am going to give an update on Biogen since they've had a pretty crazy month with a congressional oversight committee announcing that they're going to be investigating the approval of Aduhelm. So we're going to touch on all of that. And before we do, I just want to say thank you to everybody for all the engagement. Love all of the tweets I've been getting on Twitter and emails and comments in the YouTube channel. So please keep it up. It's because of the engagement that I get that I am able to get nice guests on the show. So if you do want to see me interview some higher profile guests, please share the show and continue to click that like button and subscribe. It does make a big difference when certain PR people are looking for shows that they want their executives to interview on. So please keep that up and I appreciate it. And also I want to mention that if I've been less responsive than usual, it's because I have been moving. So my background is different because I'm in a new location now. And finally, that's coming to a close, so I should have more time to focus on what I love, which is the biotech sector. And with that, let's get to the first story for today, which is Biogen. And now, they're down around 12% from when I did my last video and when I took my original position. And they now have a market cap of around $52 billion. And I think it's safe to say that they've had a rough couple weeks. They had three readouts come out, and all of them either had mixed or failed results. The first one was a phase three in choroideremia, and this is due to their Nightstar acquisition. They were not able to hit the primary endpoint here due to efficacy. And this comes on the heels of a failure in X-linked retinal pigmentosa. So both indications due to their Nightstar acquisitions are now coming up failed. The next thing that we heard is positive results from their phase three in collaboration with Sage in major depressive disorder. Now it's positive because they did get a statistically significant effect compared to placebo, but the effect size, the difference between placebo and the test group wasn't very large and people were expecting a lot more of an effect. So unfortunately, Sage did sell off quite a bit on this news and it's gonna to be tough to know whether or not the FDA is gonna see this as approvable. And given that the uncertainty with the FDA with regards to whether or not they're gonna approve a certain asset or not, we really don't know how it's gonna come out. So for this reason, it is kind of mixed results for Biogen here. And they do have a bunch of other readouts coming in the back half of the year associated with Sage. So it remains to be seen how this is gonna be viewed, but investors now are a little bit more cautious with the Sage collaboration. And then finally, we got top line results from a phase two trial in Alzheimer's disease with the drug gosuranumab, and this is an anti-tau antibody. And this mechanism looked like it could have an effect in Alzheimer's disease, but unfortunately, Biogen failed to hit the primary endpoint associated with efficacy. So this led to a 12% decline in the stock from around its 400 to $425 peak. 
And I think the fact that it only is down 12%, given these pretty major failures, is that the revenue that Biogen is still going to be able to realize due to the Aduhelm approval is going to be so substantial that it can still be enough to overcome these short-term hangups. And Biogen still has a pretty large pipeline, so I think it's for these reasons that investors are shaking this stuff off pretty easily. In the back half of the year, we do have a few things to look forward to. In Q3, we're going to be seeing the Q2 earnings report, and I'm specifically going to be looking to see how well Aduhelm is going to be commercialized. We're going to see initial sales numbers, even though it's only going to be for like a month, maybe even less than that. But the other thing we're going to see is whether or not payers are going to be supporting the drug. And this is going to be a question that I'm sure investor analysts are going to ask. So I'm going to be looking out for that. There's also some readouts that are coming up. ALS in phase three is going to be reading out. And there's postpartum depression and major depressive disorder readouts in phase three also coming in the second half of this year. So we'll see with, with that in particular. The SAGE collaboration is a little shaky now, but they do have an approved drug already. So it could go either way, in my opinion. The other thing we can look forward to is potential Aduhelm regulatory approvals outside of the USA. And I mentioned this last time that Aduhelm is also being evaluated by other regulatory agencies around the world, and we could see some news from them on whether it's approved or not. So this could go either way for the company. Obviously, the FDA's approval is the biggest one, but these could also be an upside catalyst for the stock. So that was going to be my spiel on Biogen. But then we heard Friday afternoon after market closed that an oversight committee in Congress is going to be investigating Biogen's Alzheimer's drug, Aduhelm, and what happened with the approval process. So this is obviously a cause for concern for longs in the stock. When any kind of regulatory body announces they're going to be doing some investigation, it obviously makes investors very concerned. And they cited a few things. They talked about how the efficacy of Aduhelm wasn't quite there, so they questioned why the FDA would approve it. And they also questioned Biogen's price point at $56,000 per year. And I think that there's reasons that, to think that this could be a great buying opportunity because the uncertainty around this investigation is going to have a negative effect on the stock, in my opinion, in the short term. But we've seen over and over again that politicians like to put on a big parade for how concerned they are with the effects of corporate America on citizens. But we've seen, especially in the FANG stocks, how none of their policy prescriptions afterwards have any real teeth, and they don't seem to really actually hurt the companies. And I think there's reason to believe that this could be a similar thing for Biogen. And what I envision happening, because I am going to stay long with the company, I'm going to keep my position and maybe add, depending on how low we get after this news actually hits the tape. And I think what we could see is that the Oversight Committee is going to have a hearing where they're going to parade a bunch of Biogen executives, maybe some FDA members, to have a big public display on what's going on with the approval process and have them describe actually what happened. And then what we might also see is that Biogen is going to have to explain how they're going to make the drug accessible to people who can't afford this $56,000 per year price point. And they're going to be able to do that because I'm sure there's a ton of programs out there that are affordable for certain people who don't qualify for different insurance programs. And then if they have to go any further than that, Biogen might make a compromise and lower the drug's wholesale acquisition cost. And I think that's the most likely scenario to happen. So I do think that 
whatever effect we see on the stock in the short term is going to be a nice buying opportunity, assuming that the worst doesn't happen. And we cannot really know today whether or not they're going to do something drastic like pull the approval of Aduhelm, but it is a possibility. And this is why there's risk associated with this. But I look at it as kind of a buying opportunity, and I'm probably going to add to my position. And I might not include it in my biotech portfolio because it's going to be taking over such a large percent of my portfolio. I might put it in my like retirement account and not look at it for a couple of years. So that's what I'm thinking. Obviously, this is risky, and we don't know what the outcome is going to be from this investigation. And I've talked previously about why the approval of Aduhelm is controversial, and I don't really think that the drug should have been approved, given that there's no efficacy really for this drug. But we got to play in the environment that we're given. So it's for these reasons that I am long the stock, and I think that this investigation is probably going to be okay for them in the long term. So that's Biogen. Pretty wild month for them, and yeah, we'll see what happens. Now, before I get to the feature story for today, I did want to thank our sponsor, which is Biofarm IQ or BPIQ. And they are a research platform for smaller mid-cap biotech investors. BPIQ manually sources and compiles info for over 550 companies, including 1,800 of their drug assets. Now, these guys are great because they have a very easy-to-use searchable catalyst calendar and pipeline screener. You can look at company profiles and pipelines, and they also have drug profiles that include the catalyst dates, drug history, mechanism of action, and more. And the reason why these guys are great for me in particular is that it saves me so much time. Having to scour every single company's corporate presentation and looking for dates that are kind of hidden and obscure can take forever. And rather than doing that, I can just punch in the ticker symbol at bpiq.com and I'm going to get all the relevant information that I need to know. And you can try BPIQ free or lock in the current pricing special while it lasts. And what I would recommend is that you go with the annual plan, which brings the cost down to only $12 per month when you do that. And I've made that up multiple fold in time savings because it just takes so long sometimes to have to find all of these relevant dates with your company of interest. So check these guys out. BPIQ is the company name, but use my link in the description below so that they know that I sent you. And with that, let's get to the feature story for today, which is the ophthalmology sector. And in particular, we're talking about wet AMD or diabetic retinopathy. And in 2020, the sales from drugs in this sector totaled around $12 billion, which is pretty substantial. And to talk a little bit about the mechanism of what happens in wet AMD or diabetic retinopathy, some kind of trigger leads to an overproliferation of endothelial cells. And these endothelial cells form leaky blood vessels such that blood or protein infiltrate into parts of the eye where it shouldn't be. And this leads to complications such as blurred vision, vision loss, and other complications. So what smart people have figured out is that if they inject an antibody that's raised against a protein called vascular endothelial growth factor, they can inhibit that blood vessel overproliferation and improve outcomes associated with patients that have these diseases. So these two products are called Lucentis and Ilea. And combined, the revenue in 2020 that they garnered was $10.5 billion. So pretty big market, and they've made a very big impact in patients that have these diseases. Now how this goes right now is that these are monthly intravitreal injections, and then they're able to maintain that efficacy associated with the treatment. 
Another compound that's used for this is called Avastin, but it has been used in a lot of cancer treatments as well. So trying to break down the revenue from this company for specifically the ophthalmology part is a little complicated. A newer compound that's come on the market is called Bayoview, and this has garnered $190 million in revenue in 2020. And the sales pitch for this one is that it can be given less frequently, I think once every two months rather than a monthly injection like Lucentis or Ilea. So this is one of the targets that the biopharma sector is looking at is to try and overcome the monthly injection problem because quality of life wise, patients don't really want to have to go in and get a monthly injection every time in order to maintain that efficacy. So what some companies have looked at is a polymer based solution where the injection can be as little as twice per year rather than needing to be monthly. And this is Kodiak's pitch right now. KSI 301 is a polymer-based anti-VEGF treatment, and they brought down the injection frequency to twice per year in order to maintain an efficacy non-inferior to ILEA or Lucentis. Graybug has a compound that's similar to that called GB201, but there were efficacy problems with them that led to a bit of a sell-off. So these are kind of the latest set of therapies that are going to hit the market eventually, assuming everything goes well. But companies are looking at doing better than that, and gene therapy could be an option whereby patients really only need one injection in order to transduce the gene into cells of the eye such that they'll express the anti-VEGF antibody endogenously and prevent the overproliferation of endothelial cells. So a few companies have looked into doing this. I've talked before about Adverum and Regenix Bio. But we've also seen a few newer players come in the scene that look at more rare diseases associated with eye conditions. Now, we've heard some recent failures in the space, and I'm going to touch on those right now. So, Adverum is looking at wet AMD and diabetic macular edema, but we did hear in their DME trial a pretty substantial safety concern. And this is due to changes in intraocular pressure as well as a pretty severe inflammation response. So they're put kind of in question right now on what the future is, even though they talk about initiating a pivotal phase three in the fourth quarter of this year. I touched on this before, but the Biogen and Nightstar collaboration where they looked at choroideremia and X-linked retinal pigmentosa, those were two failures where there were issues with efficacy. 4D Molecular Therapies mentioned that they had Roche cancel an agreement in their collaboration to commercialize the choroideremia gene therapy that they have in the clinic. So that's kind of a negative thing. And then another company called AGTC is looking at X-linked retinal pigmentosa, as well as a disease called achromatopsia. And they have had some questions come out now about efficacy concerns with their therapy. So the sector as a whole is taking a bit of a hit when it comes to gene therapy and ophthalmology, and it's going to take some pretty impressive data to turn it around. But I think there is a bright spot, and I'm going to touch on this a little bit later, but to give a hint to it, we did hear some good news from a company called Clearside Biomedical, and they are commercializing a supercroidal space microinjector in order to deliver drugs. They have some internal programs where they're looking at commercializing drugs for wet AMD, and they also have collaborations with external companies. One in particular that I'm going to talk about is their collaboration with Regenix Bio. And they're doing this collaboration because Regenix Bio wants to leverage the suprachoroidal space microinjector to overcome the problems associated with a subretinal injection. And Regenix Bio has previously needed to do a subretinal injection in order to get their 
gene therapy delivered to the proper cells. If they can leverage the suprachoroidal space microinjector, they're going to supersede the need to use a subretinal injection, which has a ton of complications associated with it. And we saw that in the last year, some serious safety signals come out from Regenix Bio's subretinal injection of RGX314. So the positive news that we heard from ClearSide suggests to me that the suprachoroidal space injector is going to be a success for Regenix Bio. And because we've seen some impressive data from RGX314, their treatment for wet AMD, I think that the upcoming readouts in this space, in this company in particular, is going to turn the sector around quite a bit. So before we talk in more detail about that, I did want to first compare where these companies sit at from a financial perspective, and then we can talk about the readouts that are actually coming up. So the four or five companies I want to focus on are Adverum, ClearSide, 4D Molecular Therapies, Regenix Bio, and Kodiak Sciences. Adverum has a market cap of $375 million, but their estimated net current cash sits at $400 million right now. And this effectively gives them an enterprise value of negative $25 million, or pretty much close to zero given that the second quarter is coming to an end and they probably spent around $25 million. Now their furthest along trial is this phase one, two in wet AMD, where they were able to see efficacy. Now, Adverum is a special case because they did see a significant treatment-associated adverse event in their diabetic macular edema trial. So for them, I don't think we know what to expect, given that this significant safety signal showed itself in the last little while. Now, they are planning to do a pivotal phase three trial in wet AMD, and they're going to initiate that in Q4 of this year. But we see a lot of drama around Adverum because the big shareholder of theirs is a hedge fund of some sorts called Sonic, and they issue public letters all the time criticizing Adverum, and they go back and forth with you know, board members not wanting to be part of the board and so forth. So the company is in a tough spot, and that's the reason why investors have basically no confidence in the company to deliver when it comes to reaching these big milestones. So that's the reason why this company is sitting at the enterprise value that it's sitting at. So for me... I don't feel very comfortable taking a position here for those reasons. Clearside Biomedical, on the other hand, has an enterprise value of $265 million, and it's this because they have net current cash of $16 million and a market cap of $280 million. They just announced this Phase 2-ish data with their internal program using their suprachoroidal space microinjector in wet AMD. They have a big catalyst coming up in collaboration with Regenix Bio that I'm going to talk about, and this is going to be in wet AMD and diabetic retinopathy. 4D Molecular Therapies, on the other hand, has a market cap of $600 million, and they have a cash position of $260 million, giving them an enterprise value of around $340 million, so really not too far from Clearside Biomedical. And 4D Molecular Therapies is basically totally preclinical right now. We did see an update in safety data, and I'm going to touch on that in a little bit, but they do have some upcoming catalysts that are going to be huge movers for the stock. They're going to give readouts and initial data in Q4 of 2021 on X-linked retinal pigmentosa, choroideremia, as well as their gene therapy in Fabry disease. So these are going to be huge readouts for the company, and I'm going to talk about them in a little more detail coming up. Regenix Bio has a larger market cap than them, sitting at $1.7 billion dollars. They have estimated net current cash at $400 million, giving them an enterprise value of $1.3 billion. They have seen success in Phase 2 in wet AMD using their subretinal injector. Now, they are going through the clinic with this suprachoroidal space injector, and these are the readouts that I'm excited for in Q3 and H2 of 2021. 
where they're going to look at phase two using the suprachoroidal space microinjector for wet AMD and diabetic retinopathy. Now, Kodiak Sciences is the furthest along company than all of these, and they sit at a market cap of $4.6 billion. Their estimated net current cash is $900 million, giving them an enterprise value of $3.7 billion. And their furthest along trials in the biggest market is in wet AMD, diabetic macular edema, and RVO. They're initiating a bunch of pivotal readouts in all of these different diseases, as well as diabetic retinopathy. And we're going to see these readouts coming in 2022 and maybe early 2023. So it's for these reasons that the company's getting such a generous valuation is that they're so far along in the process. And it's pretty clear that they have efficacy as well as pretty decent safety. The other thing is that KOD has significant institutional backing. A few biotech funds have taken pretty substantial public positions, including Baker Brothers, Citadel, other ones. So for these reasons as well, the company is getting a pretty generous valuation for that. So these are where the companies stand as they are. And I want to talk in more detail about specifically 4D Molecular Therapies, ClearSight, and Regenix Bio, and talk about how we could see them start to get a little bit better valuation closer to KOD. So the first company I want to touch on is 4D Molecular Therapeutics. Their ticker symbol is FDMT, and they closed on Friday at $22.60 a share, giving them a market cap of $600 million. Their Q1 net loss was $16 million, and like I said, their net current assets sit at around $245 million. And they're commercializing next-generation adeno-associated viral vectors for ophthalmology, cardiology, and pulmonology. They have a directed evolution way of generating AAVs that can do better than the current standard of care. I won't go into more detail than that. You can look at either my previous video or look at their corporate presentation to find more information, but their non-human primate data looks pretty good using their specific AAVs, and they're finally now in the clinic for all of these different diseases. X-linked retinal pigmentosum, croideremia, and Fabry disease are the nearest catalysts but they're going to be looking at wet AMD, DME, as well as cystic fibrosis. So we did hear some negative news, and we also saw some positive safety news, even though it was early. But what they announced here is that Roche requested that 4DMT conclude the Roche-funded 4D110 trial in advanced choroideremia patients as a result of Roche's assessment of a change in the risk-benefit profile. Subsequently, Roche sent a notice of termination without cause of the collaboration and license agreement, effective as of September 16, 2021. As a result, 4DMT will regain full rights to 4D110. So, obviously, this doesn't look great. For us, I don't think we should read too much into this. It kind of looks like Roche is reassessing the risks associated with putting a lot of capital in a risky gene therapy, especially in ophthalmology that recently saw some upsets. And they basically want to repurpose that money for something that might be more of a safer bet. Now, where this could be beneficial to 4DMT is that if they do do very well in 4D110, their treatment for choroideremia, them regaining all the rights to it just means that they're going to garner significantly higher revenue than they would otherwise. This obviously requires that they do find success in choroideremia and Given what I've seen so far, there's no reason to suggest that they won't, but these are all very high-risk plays, so keep that in mind. Now, one beneficial thing that we saw is that 4DMT announced that they expect to release initial 4D110 biologic activity data in the fourth quarter of this year when at least six months of follow-up are available for all the currently enrolled patients, and after the 90-day transition period with Roche is complete. 
So previously, we heard that they were going to announce this data in 2022, but they've bumped this up to the fourth quarter of this year. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be positive data, but it is nice to see that they're moving along at a pretty quick pace. Now, other things that we heard from 40MT is that they announced some early safety data in these patients. Now, with a 3 plus 3 dose escalation trial, which I believe these are, data in the lowest dose cohort isn't necessarily the most impactful because it is the dose at which we might not see very much efficacy. But the fact that they're sharing this data with us now, I think is a positive thing. And what we've seen here in both, there are two ophthalmology assets, 4D110, and this is for choroideremia, and 4D125, which is for X-linked retinal pigmentosa. And what we see in each of these therapies is one out of six patients saw a grade two uveitis, which is inflammation. You don't love to see this, but they did get none that were grade three or above. For grade one, which is mild, they saw four out of six in 4D110 and two out of six in 4D125. Now, you obviously don't love to see any safety signals, but the fact that they were all under grade three, I think does bode pretty well for this data given what we see here and given that it is these earlier dose cohorts. So it is really just early data and it's going to take a little bit more time for us to really see whether or not they can hold this kind of safety in the higher doses and also whether or not efficacy is seen at these early doses or only at the later doses. So in terms of upcoming catalysts, we are going to see efficacy readouts in X-linked retinal pigmentosum, choroideremia, and Fabry disease in Q4. And then the company is initiating their wet AMD and diabetic macular edema trials and cystic fibrosis in the fourth quarter of 2021. So on this news, FDMT did sell off around 12%, I believe, and I did add to my position. I think that the price point here is pretty compelling given that we have pretty major readouts coming up at the end of the year. So that's 40 molecular therapies. And moving right along, I want to now talk about ClearSide Biomedical. And their ticker symbol is CLSD. And they traded on Friday at $4.92 a share, giving them a market cap of $280 million. Their Q1 net loss was $7 million. And like I mentioned, they have around $16 million in current net assets. And like I mentioned as well, they're developing a supracroidal space microinjector. And this allows doctors to target the back of the eye using a delivery mechanism that does not require an invasive procedure. And the invasive procedure was a subretinal injection, and this is very dangerous, invasive, and costly. But using this microinjector supersedes the need to do that, making it much more attractive for patients as well as providers. Now, what we recently saw is that the stock was up 70% on positive news in their internal program called CLSAX. And what this was is a phase 1-2 clinical trial of axitinib injection using their supracroidal space microinjector. And atixanib is a pan-VEGF tyrosine kinase inhibitor. So it's similar to anti-VEGF antibodies where it inhibits all the VEGF isoforms. And what they did here is an open-label study looking at three different cohorts of five patients each, starting at 0.03 milligrams, 0.1 milligrams, and 0.3 milligrams. And they evaluated visual function, ocular anatomy, visual acuity, and central subfield thickness. And what they did is they took a measurement at the screening time point, waited 30 days, and in that time they received an ILEA injection, 
They took another measurement at baseline and then they started the CLS-AX treatment and then evaluated patients, so forth. And these are the results. So at screening, the mean BCVA, which is a measurement of visual acuity, this is a test where you stand a certain distance away from a chart that has all of those different letters that are decreasing in size, and this is an easy way to measure visual acuity. And now the change in patients that received that ILEA injection, the mean was negative 0.2. And these patients were previously on some kind of anti-VEGF monthly treatment, whether it was ILEA or Lucentis, and they were measured at screening and then 30 days later after they received that ILEA injection. And there was basically no change in the improvement in visual acuity. What ClearSide then did is gave an injection using their supracroidal space microinjector of CLS-AX, and they saw a mean improvement in patients of 4.7 letters. So a pretty big improvement over the standard that was being given of ILEA. So to me, this is very impressive, especially given that it's their lowest dose at 0.03 milligrams. The company also looked at central subfield thickness, and this is a bit of a controversial readout. In general, what happens when patients first get ILEA or Lucentis is they see about 150 micron decrease in central subfield thickness. And I've heard though that in healthy eyes, having a thicker central subfield thickness is associated with better visual acuity. And then I've seen a bunch of other studies show that measuring central subfield thickness is not a good surrogate for visual acuity. So I don't know if I should take too much stock into this, but what we basically want to see, in my opinion, is that treatment of CLS-AX doesn't start to increase the central subfield thickness by too much. And they're saying here within 50 microns is okay. I think that that's fine. But like I said, they did do a screening measurement, baseline measurement, and then post-CLS-AX. And what we saw here is that the one injection of ILEA led to a decrease in central subfield thickness on average of 26.3 microns. And then after the CLS-AX, all of those gains in the decrease of central subfield thickness were basically given back. And on average, the central subfield thickness increased 22.3 microns. And this was mostly due to one patient that had a big decline after the ILEA injection, and then they made all of that back up after the CLS-AX injection. So overall, I see this as relatively positive for the company, the fact that there wasn't too much of a change in CST. The last chart I wanna show was kind of a nice way for them to present how patients did with durability. And I don't know if this was too much of a surprise for the company, but what they saw here is that after CLS-AX, no subjects required an additional treatment at one month after the CLS-AX injection, and two out of six subjects did not require additional treatment for three months post-CLS-AX. So they're using this axitinib and they're able to get longer durability than they would have seen if they had done ILEA, which would require obviously monthly injections. So this is a nice perk, even though the primary endpoint for this trial is in safety. So this is nice to see, and I think it bodes very well for ClearSide Biomedical. It definitely validates the SCS injector, which is gonna be huge for the collaboration with Regenix Bio. In terms of safety, they said that CLS-AX was well-tolerated. There were no signs of inflammation, vitreous haze, IOP safety signals, vasculitis, or intravitreal dispersion of investigational product. And like I said, they're moving forward with cohorts two or three. Now, I wanna talk about the upcoming readouts that are gonna take place in Q3 and H2 of 2021. 
ClearSide is in collaboration with Regenix Bio, whereby Regenix Bio has exclusive worldwide rights to ClearSide's superchoroidal space microinjector for the delivery of adeno-associated virus-based therapeutics to the superchoroidal space to treat wet AMD, diabetic retinopathy, and other conditions for which anti-VEGF treatment is the standard of care. Delivery of gene therapy through the SCS may provide a targeted in-office non-surgical treatment option. And this is huge because like I mentioned, Regenix Bios therapy needed to be given subretinally, which is a surgical treatment option to some extent. Using the supercritical space microinjector allows patients to just go to a doctor's office to be treated, which simplifies the process and really reduces the safety problems associated with subretinal injection. And what we're looking forward to is readouts from two different trials. They're doing a phase two trial of RGX314, supercroidal space injection in wet AMD called the Aviate trial, and diabetic retinopathy called the Altitude trial. What Regenix Bio mentioned in their Q1 earnings report is that Aviate interim data from cohort one is gonna be presented in Q3 of 2021, they're going to be presenting cohort 2 data in 2021, and they're now moving forward with dosing of cohort 3, which I believe is not anticipated. So they added this cohort 3, and they announced here that cohort 3 is going to be 20 patients that are neutralizing antibody positive. And I wondered why Regenix Bio would move forward with cohort 3, given that these are neutralizing antibody positive patients, and these patients usually are excluded from gene therapy trials, given that the antibodies circulating in the patient attack the virus and prevent them from transducing that gene. And to me, what this kind of suggests, and I am reaching here and speculating, but it seems to me that they're kind of seeing positive data so far in these patients, and they now want to take it to another level, suggesting that the suprachoroidal space might be an isolating environment whereby antibodies circulating in the patient's bloodstream won't attack the virus, and the virus might still work in these patients. And I don't think they would move forward with cohort three unless they started to see some positive effects in cohort one or cohort two. Now, I think the clear side data that we just saw definitely validates the supercroidal space injector. And then I think what this does, the suggestion that they're moving forward with cohort three kind of indicates that they've seen some success with RGX314 in this environment. So, to me, this is very validating and is part of the reason why I continue to have a long position in the company. For their trial in diabetic retinopathy, the altitude trial, there's going to be initial data from cohort one expected in 2021. So there's going to be three readouts that are coming out that I think could move Regenix Bio to a much higher valuation than they're being given right now. So that's what I got. Let me know what you think in the comments, where I'm off base on ophthalmology, send me a tweet or send me an email or comment below. But that is my assessment of the wet AMD diabetic retinopathy sector as it stands. In terms of upcoming catalysts, we saw the depression data from Sage and Biogen, as well as the other Biogen readouts that I mentioned at the start of the show. GLTO, we did see the COVID-19 data and the company announced that they weren't really going to be moving forward with that asset. So we did see a nice move up in the stock, but because the company's not really moving forward with it, it was kind of a muted response. We're still waiting for Atrika, Hepion, ALX Oncology, and YMTX data. ALX Oncology, I'm no longer certain that we're going to see this gastric cancer update. I may have misread the corporate presentation, so this one is definitely in question. And then YMTX, they delayed their data readout. So the stock has suffered quite a bit on that news. 
I'm gonna hold and look to add to my position as we get closer to that data readout, but it's very annoying when companies do do a delay in their data, but it is what it is. To do a quick portfolio update, I did sell my clear slide at $3.88. Obviously, I sold way too soon, which seems to be a common story, but like I mentioned in the tweets, because I have such a big Regenix bio position at 10% of my portfolio, I thought it was okay for me to take profits on clear side and let the rest ride for these Q3 readouts like I mentioned. I added to my Biogen position here and I might add more after we see the downfall after this announcement of the congressional investigation and then I did also add to FDMT. Overall I'm sitting at around 1% year to date which is better than the XBI and better than ARCG for now but I am doing worse than the NASDAQ, the Dow Jones and the SPX 500. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. So I want to thank everybody one last time for your attention. Please click the like or subscribe button and share the show with a friend. We definitely are able to get really nice high profile guests on the show if we can keep up this engagement. So please do that. And thanks again, everybody. And we'll see you next time.